Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Thanks, Janice, for agreeing to chat with me. I really appreciate it. And to start off, could you tell me a little bit about sort of what you, when you were a child, what you sort of expected for your life and for how you were going to be a mother and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to remember (laughs) back, (laughs) way back then. But um, I suppose I had always thought that I would have like four kids. I'd get married and have four kids and that would be that. Uh, you know, I would sometimes in, in my late 20s and mid-30s make all that happen. I don't know if it was ever specific enough to be a working mom or a non-working mom. I don't think that that ever came into any vision. And, and my even my vision about a mom was always a general warm feeling, but nothing ever really defined. I was It was never my long-term goal. You know, I never had it as a set goal to get married and have a kid by this date. Even from the time I was in middle to high school, I was going to be an architect. I was working in school. I was incredibly independent and always on my own. So it was kind of a goal on the back burner that I I just assumed that I would meet someone and have a kid. Right. Interesting. Yeah, right. Four. (laughs) So the number was fairly specific, it sounds like. Yes. And so tell me briefly about what your path to motherhood was like in the end. So right now I'm 50 and I have a three-year-old. So I started, I have always been a professional woman. I'm an architect and I have had a long career path and I have, again, been independent and really focused and work. Architects can work a lot and to get anywhere you have to really put some time in. And so I did that. I worked hard. I loved my job. I had a relationship in my 20s. That one didn't really work out. Uh, It was a longer-term relationship. Didn't work out. In my 30s, I focused. You know, I had a few relationships, nothing that would stick. And then and I was really focused more on my career, and I was actually focused on some spiritual bath of yoga and doing some other things, hiking, and just focused on family, thinking, oh, I'll just meet the guy and it'll happen. And then in my 40s, even my early 40s, I thought, oh, there's still hope. And I tried dating and tried to, you know, tried to meet that guy, and it just never happened. And finally, you know, it came into my mind. It was actually in a meditation practice, honestly. I knew this was a desire deep inside of me that I was kind of pushed away, but it came into a dream that I saw myself holding a blonde-eyed, blue-eyed baby. Crazy. Just like, what? Mm-hmm. But it stuck with me. And then in my late, in my early 40s, I thought, okay, it's not going to happen with a husband because, I, you know, it's just not. So I was thinking, oh, could I do this myself? And I, you know, at that point, I'm pretty established, have a small amount of savings. You know, I thought, okay, let's look into this. And I went to a baseball game with a friend who had a friend there. 
and she was in her late 30s, I think, almost 40, or right around that 40th age. And I was, I think, 42 going on 43 or something, almost turning 43 or something around there. And she was so excited because she was pregnant mm. herself doing artificial insemination, uh, not IVF, just IUI, and was thrilled to death because she was a single mom, finally deciding to do it on her own. And it was the first time I knew someone who made that choice. And all of a sudden I said, I can do this. Mm. And I, and that, and knowing that person and seeing her excitement and talking and knowing that confidence was really what it just like said, yes, what are you waiting for? Just remove that fear. So then I started the testing and I went to, you know, where my insurance would cover it at my local, it was the local fertility clinic for the big powerhouse in town and. So she, uh, the first thing she said to me was, oh, you're going to have to use donor, donor eggs. Mm. And I'm like, what? You know, and what, I, and what I found is I was a career person who always assumed I was undereducated in understanding how the woman's body ages and how having babies really work in the long term. That I always assumed I was... You know, my mom had menopause at 50. I had till 50. And I never understood about egg quality at the time. So this was a big shock because I was still having perfectly regular and normal periods. And I was like, oh, I can have a kid. Come on. This is this is the perfect time. And so I was in denial and shock when she said no. But she said, let's do testing. And they did the testing. And, um, you know, the I can't remember the exact names, but the one egg... The number of follicles was really low, but the other test that tested something was pretty decent. So we went ahead and tried to do the artificial insemination IUI. I got donor sperm. That was really fun. There's <laughs> always stories in picking donor sperm and, and how do you pick it. And um, I can go into that in the next section after this. But So I, I got pregnant right away. Wow. Yes, I got pregnant right away. So I didn't think that getting pregnant was ever the issue. But by week eight, the embryo wasn't—it wasn't going into an embryo. Basically, mm-hmm. it was really six or seven or whatever. And at week eight, I had a miscarriage. Oh. And that was the egg. And what they said at that point, it was probably the egg quality. That when um, it doesn't go from the zygote to the embryo, then. That often means that it's an egg quality issue and it wasn't a developing fetus and whatever. And, they were, and it was rough. I had a horrible treatment at this place. They made me wait for two and a half hours when I was having my miscarriage and and in an office. And it was just, it was awful. And, and they were rude. And, and my doctor wouldn't even come and talk to me. She sent another doctor to talk to me. It was just ridiculous. So at that point... We had, I then said, okay, I want to have this discussion just to understand more what my other options are. And she again brought up egg donor. And then she told me that at this place, you couldn't do it because the dean of the program, whoever was running it, thought because I didn't have a partner and I would have to get egg donor and sperm donor, 
that they wouldn't let me do it because they think I'm masterminding a child. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. You believe that? That's crazy. I was like, yeah, all right, I'm out of here. So, um, and the truth is to give this doctor credit. She had a problem with that too. And um, she gave me a great referral to another place in Pittsburgh. And I was fully geared up. I had, you know, three vials of, I had, I had gone to another place and then I tried another round of the artificial insemination and that didn't work. And I had one left and, um, this other place was great, much more accommodating, much more realistic to my age and the day and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but also very, they didn't have a problem if I wanted to do egg donor. And they didn't have a problem, you know, with, with, they would support me all the way, and they were great. However, you know, the cost for egg donation is is very significant. And at my age, I knew that I'm not going to have multiple kids, right? I really, mm-hmm. it, I didn't, that investment to do that was crazy. So I was at the time going through acupuncture because I had heard acupuncture really helps fertility, and my acupuncturist had also been doing some research at the time and she said check into this place shady grove and boy what a difference they're kind of like a big factory (laughs) that that does a lot of every kind of uh, infertility treatment but they were excellent for me and the programs that they offered just took this thing that I originally thought I am never going to do egg donation. That's crazy. I'll just look into adoption. But all of a sudden, with their shared medical risk and the shared egg program with sharing donors, the cost was not unreasonable. So then I had to really rethink, okay, what am I doing here? You know, what's what's the end goal here? And the end goal is, I. so there are specific reasons that I did actually want to ha- carry a child. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be pregnant. And a lot of it actually had to do with controlling, you know, what I ate and the health of the child. And I practiced meditation. I practiced meditation in this yoga for over 20 years. And it's a part of my life. And I wanted from the very inception that this child, I wanted to be able to meditate because, and, and this is crazy, this is what I believe. For me, being a single mom, I just knew that if I started off in, in utero with meditation with my child, that in the long term, it's just going to be the right thing for me. I just knew that that, that was going to be the right thing. And so with that choice, and all of a sudden, it wasn't so crazy. It wasn't so unaffordable. It was something I could actually swing. And I surprised myself by going through Wow. Awesome. Your story is so similar to mine. It's uncanny, really. And then the, and then my first IVF didn't work. Okay. So the first egg donor transfer, do you mean? First egg donor, or and they, they actually thought it was the sperm donor that didn't work. Mm. Um, the egg seemed fine, but the sperm, because it petered out after a few, like three or four days, and mm. they said it looked sperm. So I had to reselect both egg and sperm donor. But in the end, it was better because I got such a better match for my egg donor. Okay. Oh, this this woman actually had the same physical build and characteristics that I did, which was kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. And then and then I that worked, and I have a three year old, and I have 
so happy I went through the process and just kept keeping that end goal in mind. Nice. Just the baby. Mm-hmm. And let everything else kind of, and it is going with flow. Like where was the flow and where did it stop? And you just keep going on the path that was moving forward. And uh, it's great. Awesome. I think that's why I was drawn to your website because you have a very similar story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And even, you know, I, I did end up using sperm and egg donor and it was very important to me also to carry the child. And part of that was because I've had a, a Qigong practice for about 15 years where we do, you know, very deep meditation. And it was sort of a similar idea that I really wanted to be linked and have that sort of influence over my baby from the beginning. And Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you get that. Yeah, I totally get it. And then I learned about epigenetics, and that just sort of tipped it over the edge for me. Of like, oh, okay, actually, you're you're influencing sort of what genes express really significantly by carrying a child in utero, as well as raising a child. But for me, it just yes. it was really important. So I have to say, I learned more about epigenetics afterwards, mm. and was and it just made me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I see different things like it looks like he might have allergies and in a way that makes me happy because I have allergies and I'm like ah you know right. something about my body may have triggered this because of whatever it was and mm-hmm. not that I wish the poor kid allergies but you know it's just commonalities that you see things come through mm-hmm. that you just wonder maybe maybe Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think it's somewhat self-evident from everything you explained, but if you could just speak a little bit to how your path differed from what you sort of pictured throughout your life, if there's anything to add on around that question. Yeah, I don't think I ever, I probably never thought early on that I would be doing this solo all on my own. I probably always thought more conventionally I would have this husband that would help. And that I would have done it younger. But, you know, I, I don't hold a lot of credence to what I thought in the past, really. I don't, to me, it seems that this path is the path that was really the path that I was meant to take. It's absolutely the path that is within everything in my being, with my independence, with my, I was always kind of a late mature, I always took time and evaluated and never fell into anything quickly and and just even with being a parent being an older parent is absolutely in line with just the way I've kind of lived my life so I I imagined the process was gonna be a lot easier and not as long but even then by the fact it was a process and a journey is probably consistent with my life so right it's hard to answer now (laughs) Again, that's exactly really a lot of how I feel. So it makes sense to me. Um, And I've heard lots of other women sort of say the same. So it's, I I think that does make sense. I think it would have been far stranger for me if I would have had this child early on. And I mean, I have more trouble trying to envision my life had I kind of had the child early and what it would be to what my life is now. I mean, it, that's okay. That's because it's what my life is now. Right. That's great. And what kinds of things did you feel like you needed to let go of in order to embrace this path? Maybe along the way, what was going on? Like when the, I guess, specifically right. moving toward, well, the first, so the first choice of having to be a single mom and then having to use egg donor. The fact that I could do it, 
to have the confidence and to realize that I I had to overcome the fear and have the confidence to do it. And then the second one was, I mean, that egg, the switch to egg donor was not, I mean, it happened naturally, but it wasn't necessarily, I don't want to say easy. There was a lot of consideration and evaluation and meditation and uh, really looking inward to really understand that that was a very viable option. And that was the option for me. So that, and then, you know, going, then you're right, you got to, you're picking so much stuff, right? The, is this the right donor? What's that donor? That whole busyness and then having it fail. And then that next step of doing it again was huge. Mm. So that was the one that really was like, all right, that was also the next biggest is, is facing the failure and picking up and moving on and mm-hmm. keeping working towards that goal. Yeah. And how do you think you managed to sort of pick up at that moment where it felt like it was almost impossible to move forward and to keep going? I will tell you that um, that was not as hard as I, now that I'm thinking about it. When I had my own natural miscarriage, that really took a lot out of me. It took a lot out of me physically. It took a lot out of me mentally. It took me a while to recover from that experience. And the ability to just recollect myself, to move forward, that was probably my bigger hurdle to overcome. Mm. And then when the IVF didn't work, it was a letdown. But by then, I had really established the process, and I had already kind of committed to this idea. So that was not as, you know, because I had a, a quick, you know, all right, well, we'll just do it again, instead of having to completely reframe and restructure a path. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that my the first miscarriage was probably the most significant restructuring I had to do. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. How did you manage to let go of your original sort of ideas and plans? What were the strategies and resources that sort of helped you shift? Meditation helped enormously. That inward reflection because even, I think even then when I made that decision, I didn't even, it was pretty internal and solely on myself. I didn't discuss it with a lot of people. I had a few good friends, but that was really, it was really, uh, I'm going to say my meditations, what really worked it through is that ability to really have introspection mm-hmm. and to really figure out what was really in my heart of, of what I really wanted to be and become. And so that's what pushed me through. So that was the shift. It was meditation and introspection of really understanding what I wanted out of life that made me go through. You know, these steps that are pretty, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work. You've been through it. It's a lot of work to get there. It's a lot. It takes a lot of focus and diligence. Mm-hmm. You just got to keep picking at it. You don't walk away. Do you have any regrets about how you became a mother? Not at all. Nice. I really, it's a, I enjoy my son every day, and I'm so thankful that this process existed. I learned so much about myself. What's the most surprising thing about your path or about how sort of the way things turned out to you? How much my son actually looks like me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like shocked. You know, and it's because of what, it's a smile, right? It's our mannerisms Mm. that kids pick up. And it's the smile or the laugh or the, 
that kind of surprises me. That's very cool. You know, it's interesting. I have a friend who is talking about adoption, and I wonder, had I done that route, what would that be like? But for me, this was the route that worked for me. It gave me the chance to be pregnant. I actually even delivered naturally, not naturally, I had an epidural, but I was able to in spite of all the doctors flipping out because of my age, did not have a C-section. Nice. So I was very happy about that. Everything really flowed, and it was a wonderful experience. And do you think that your particular, you know, having to use egg and sperm donor has altered the relationship with you have you have with your child at all? Not, not really, no. I don't. I think there's some, you know, I have to figure out the explanation. And I'm actually really open about it, being careful now that he's getting a little older. But, you know, how you talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm open. I mean, he's going to know at the appropriate time what's going on and just know it's a different story and a different family. And, yeah, and just working through that process. So in hindsight, would you do anything differently knowing what you know now? That's interesting. No, you know, I don't, I'm not a person that goes to hindsight anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't, um, (laughs) it doesn't do any benefit. And so, no, I'm not going to do that. It worked out perfectly. I'm very happy with everything that worked out. And so, no, because I'm not, it's, you know, could have, would have, should have done something a hundred million things different a hundred times ago. But (laughs) no, not really. Okay. I wouldn't change the process. Sometimes I think, oh, I should have done this sooner because I love being a mother. Mm-hmm. So that might be the thing. Oh, I wish I did this sooner because being a mother is amazing. I am absolutely happy with the path I took and where I'm at today. What advice would you give to someone if they were struggling to become a mother or like looking at a path that's completely different than what they had assumed their whole lives? It takes courage and perseverance that you have to really dig deep to get through those rough spots, but not to listen to anybody else. That's what I would say. You have to take the time to listen to yourself because you'll know because some people, for some people, you won't go through this and you'll adopt or you'll live with another solution and everything is okay. But the importance is you really need to get in touch with yourself, who you really are, and make that decision for yourself. You don't listen to your mom. You don't listen to your sister. You don't listen to a boyfriend. You have to really listen to who you are and yourself to take your own path. And and just keep looking for a way if that's what's in your heart. You, the way will come. You just got to keep figuring it out. And what ways has being a mother been different than what you expected? I had no idea how much hard work it was. <laughs> And <laughs> I just say, you know, I so I'm a working mom, and I will tell you that I have so much respect for moms that stay at home. I'm sure if I were to stay at home, then I would work it out. You'd figure it out, right? You always do. But um, the, you know, being a mom is challenging. You manage a lot, and but it's also been incredibly beneficial, even in like working, because if you especially when I'm getting to this toddler stage, if I can get my toddler to understand and do something, then I can get my boss to understand and do something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like or the people you work with, that, that level of communication and patience that, that being a mom brings out just really helps out with everything in life. And it makes, 
in a way, it makes me much more patient and kind. And I'm not in such a rush now to get to places and do things. It's much more about enjoying where I'm at now with this person and really just you kind of see the world as a whole new place. Mm. And sort of related to that, what do you love most about being a mother? Oh, yeah, (laughs) probably that. (laughs) (laughs) What I love the least is it's stressful. There's a lot of work. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of work to be organized. There's a lot of work to get up and get out the door. And I'm lucky that I have a job that allows me to afford someone to clean my house and a decent school. So I'm going back to the last question, obviously. That So that would be very challenging if, if I was, say, younger and I didn't have all this stuff built up in place, my support system, that would be challenging. But knowing that I waited, I had it in place, and so I'm able to afford the proper daycare and I'm able to afford someone to clean my house and babysitters when I need it and that kind of stuff. I have family close by. That helped. It would be so difficult doing this. But you would do it because I think you find a way to get things done, right? And it would all work out. It always works out. So what I love the most about it is the quality time I get to spend, the relearning about the world and listening to his laughter and even the the growth that I'm going through being with a mom. How do I handle the temper tantrums and instill discipline and the kind voice and the growth that it's giving and the balance. I have to tell you, it slowed me down, believe it or not, even with a toddler, because I used to always be doing something. And now I'm always kind of doing something, but in a very different way. I'm not rock climbing or kayaking or traveling the world quite as much. Now it's just enjoying the local park and getting out there and playing and being part of someone's life and helping them grow up and find out who they are. So being an older mom, do you feel like there's other, like, do you get any pushback from anyone or do do people sort of express opinions or have you found that to be pretty seamless or... A few people early on might have were like, oh, single, or oh, yeah. But, you know, I don't get, I don't, people who know me were only supportive. My friends and family were only supportive. A few people might say something, but really pay much attention to that. I have not had any real friends that have, because they all, they know me and they know that this has been a dream and, and they are supportive. So my true friends, I don't have any issues. And work has been absolutely supportive. They have been great. And so, I mean, I know there has been resistance, and I can even right now see some times where I've had that that little somebody saying something like, oh, you know, something about family or something. But the world is so different now, and family is defined so differently now with divorces and single moms and just the world we live in that it really isn't a big deal anymore. So I haven't had enough that ever caused me to even think about it. That's great. Good. I mean, I'm asking just because I want, you know, I want other women to hear this and feel encouraged. So that's, that's really awesome to hear. And how would you mind sharing a little bit about how you're approaching the donor conversation with your child and then with other people around you, maybe his school or daycare? So I have told daycare, you know, he has a donor dad. I actually, I'll tell you, I told him he has a donor dad. Who's your dad? You have a donor dad. Mm-hmm. The person that gave a gift and went to the doctor, I had you. And so when they say, you don't have a dad, you do have a dad. He's a donor dad. And then we'll go into the discussion of what that is. And then I say, you, our fam- this is our family. 
right? And I have to say now I'm starting to get a few more dad questions as these three, so I probably have to do some research to figure out how to approach. I know that I was going to look up, I think on your website, actually, you have books or mm-hmm. one of your articles. Mm-hmm. So I'm dealing with that. I'm just starting to deal with that in a different way, other than I know I am telling the truth at the appropriate level that his development can understand. Right. And I don't, I am not pretending it's anything other than what it really is. And what about, have you mentioned egg donor to him as well, or does he? You know, that one I have not. I'm Yeah, I'm going to tell you, that one I, I have not, because that's a concept I think that's maybe a little harder to understand, and I will at some point, and I'll have to figure that one out. I mean, that one is because, you know, he knows that he's seen me pregnant, he's seen his baby pictures, he knows a birth story and all that, so that'll come later. Have you felt like you needed to talk to his school or explain anything to his school at all? I've just basically told them it's donor material, Mm -hmm. and that's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't need to explain anything to anybody, right, that this is it. But they didn't really ask much, mm-hmm. you know. They just asked single, I'm singer, you know, donor, and then that's it. But they, but they know because I've told them I've been honest, and my doctor he has a sense of humor about it. Oh yeah, well we don't really know then about stuff stuff like that, and it's okay. I did you know because I I went to California Cryo Bank, and they do give me at least a lot of forms with some medical that I have scanned and in Gaze records. Mm-hmm. So. There is something there for the big stuff. Right. But, um, but you know, all that little stuff like a rash. <laughs> that rash. Well, Mom, did his dad have a rash? Well, I don't know. You know, it's a crapshoot. Who knows? <laughs> and that's okay. And then just in general, any advice for other women who are in any, you know, anywhere on this path to motherhood? So it is helpful. I did have two really good friends, three really good friends. That really did help me through the first series of donors. I actually had these friends help me pick. And that was really helpful because it's scary to do all by yourself. And it's nice to talk through some things. The second time, though, I did it all by myself. That it was just like, all right, what's, you know. And that involved meditation and introspection, of course, because that's part of my life. And I had really great, I did have support from family. I had a very close group of people that were very supportive that I could probably not have done this so successfully and been so secure about this process without them. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a lot of people. And I didn't have anybody like overwhelming. I mean, their eyes got really big and they're like, are you what? You know, what? And But then, you know, my family who knows me just rolled their eyes and then said, yeah, of course you would do it this way because... <laughs> It's not the normal path, you know, it, it, you would do it this way and that's okay. And everybody loves my son now, but it was, that it was helpful to have that really close knit few people to really help me go through, to be able to talk to, or my sister, my older sister really was a godsend in the process. She was there even during, to help me with, during the birth and the week after the birth and we ended up right back in the hospital because I wasn't. So then the kicker of all this, then I didn't produce any breast milk. Had to go back into the hospital for jaundice and dehydration of my son who was basically starving because I wasn't producing milk. So we had to flip over. And that was, 
I tell you, that was almost more challenging and difficult than the rest of the process. The fact that I could not press, because that was part of this, you know, myth and that I had made up. Oh, I want to be a mom and breastfeed and get so, and then I couldn't breastfeed. And But you know what? It's all okay. He is a great kid and is doing really great. And you know what? It worked out anyways. And it's awesome. That's so good for people to hear. And you had also sort of touched upon a couple of times about how you picked your sperm donor and maybe even egg donor. Anything you would share about that process, either how you made it fun or interesting or how you sort of got through it? Any advice you would give to people when they are picking donors? I'll tell you that it was easier to pick my egg donor because I just didn't have the choice, right? The sperm donor, there were so many choices. It was how on earth do you figure out, you know, is it someone you date? Is it, you know, how, what is important to you? So I just, I had some, I had to establish some criteria. He has to be in college, right? College material. You got to at least be attending college was one of the things. And I did kind of do the, you know, what background am I? And is it someone similar to a background than I, as in, you know, hair color, skin color, eye color, that kind of thing. And then, you know, for me, I was able to read even a, there are two key things that really helped make my decision is, well, three, three key things. One, it was helpful that they, that the intake person wrote just a brief summary on their impression of this person, which I found was helpful. The person themselves also wrote at some point a really, like a brief paragraph. It was very brief, but it was a questionnaire and paragraph that just helped me, like, this person loved outdoors, right? And for some reason, that was important. I wanted a person who would hike and be outdoors and to have that quality in life. And the other thing that came through was, like, this person, family was important to this person. And so for some reasons, in whittling it down, like, education, loving the outdoors, and having some kind of connection to family were things that helped me pick that donor. And, I mean, it took a while for me to figure out. I mean, it took months, I think, to figure out what my criteria was. And then, you know, some of the criteria went fast. But then that kind of, then that was like, oh, okay, okay. And then I'll tell you, I was able to see the kids' photos. And that helped a lot, to see the photo of the donor as a, as a child. That was like, oh, that seeing that was like, okay, that really helped to really identify it. So that was for me. It did take a process. And and again, I meditate. So that meditation was always part of the process of, okay, you know, what am I looking for? What's important? I guess in in some cases, what I would look for showing up through the paperwork was what I would look for in in a spouse as well. Love the outdoors, love your family, have a certain affinity to education. I know CCB at least has audio interviews. Did you find the audio helpful at all? or? Yeah, I didn't even do the audio at all. Hmm. Okay. Either one. And then was your egg donor... Oh, you said the egg donor were just very few choices. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of choices, but it was... I mean, there were probably maybe thousands of sperm donors, I feel. The egg donors were like under 100 or something. And then by the time I whittled down certain criteria you know, like brown hair, green eyes, right? I think that's what I put in there. And and it whittled down to like five or like 10. And then just reading through and that, that one was easier just because the choice wasn't there. And 
the first time it was harder. The second time, as I said, this one came up that was like, oh my gosh, this is divine intervention, mm. right? That this person was a great, I felt, I felt so comfortable with this person being a match that it was definitely, I felt that everything worked out for that reason. It worked out to get me the right donors for my child. That the first time didn't work because something wasn't right in that selection. And so the second time worked because this person became available and that's what was meant to happen. I love that. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, uh, I have many aspects of my story that are similar to that as well. And um, I think it's, you know, when you're in the process and you're sort of anguished over every disappointment, it's just really good to hear from the other side, sort of like it, I liken it to like buying a house. I know that I had like three houses when I was buying a house that I, that fell through for various reasons. And I was just utterly heartbroken. And then now the house I ended up in is so like significantly nicer than those other houses and so perfect in other different ways. And I, and I feel like the same thing happened with my donor. I'm a big uh, believer in that, that got to have patience and you have to accept what's happening because in the end, what's going to happen is what's best for you and your family. Awesome. Just in closing, anything else you'd like to add? No, I except that I appreciate that you are doing this and making headway for other people to find resources. I found you after my friend who is a coaching, uh, health coaching person helping moms get back on track. Uh, sent you your link to me and it was and I wish I had that as encouragement when I was looking because sometimes you do feel like you're really alone doing something no one else has done and it's really nice to know that no indeed a lot of people do this and it's pretty well established practice and it takes some time and diligence but there's help and support and interesting conversations and you're not all alone yeah, well, I'm excited to get this in the world. And I assume, you know, I wrote a book as well that yeah. was sort of on this topic. Yeah. But I've been thinking about doing a podcast forever and finally just decided I need to just get it going. So I really Great. appreciate your willingness to talk to me. Of course. Okay, take care. Bye. I'm so excited to announce the upcoming launch of Motherhood Reimagined Tribe. Tribe is the essential resource for single motherhood. So whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to conceive, or raising donor-conceived children, then Motherhood Reimagined Tribe can help you embrace your own unique path to motherhood. With our informative guides, blogs, books, services, and support, Motherhood Reimagined Tribe is the perfect place to get the advice and support you need to become the mother you want to be. Tribe launches early next year, but I'm currently looking for founding members to join one of three Tribe Masterminds. These masterminds are small, intimate groups of women who are at the same stage of the journey as you. To begin with, I'll have a group of thinkers and triers, egg donor or embryo support, and solo pregnancy. As a founding member of Tribe Mastermind, you will not only get preferred pricing, you will get access to a huge content vault for information for every stage of the journey, weekly group calls with me to go over relevant topics and connect to others in your stage, and a community forum to connect with others at any time. This will be the cheapest price ever available, so don't miss your chance to join at this rate. If you're feeling really alone and isolated or get easily overwhelmed by the amount of information and decisions you have to make, make sure you don't miss this chance to connect with other women and get access to tons of research that's already been done for you. Head on over to the Motherhood Reimagined website or follow the link in the show notes to apply for your spot as a founding member. Join me next week when we talk to Abby about her choice of having two kids, how it's all going with two, 
her decision to move to Mexico from New York in order to escape the grind, and her really beautiful choice to donate embryos to an acquaintance. Don't miss it. See you next week. Bye for now. Bye for now.